0: Welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patrick Grimion, otherwise known as Patty G. I've got my good friend, Neil Francois, with the Keyfinders team over here in the Paddy G studio or porch, however you want to see it. So I like th- porch better. Porch? Yeah. Okay. So the Patty G porch, we'll leave it at that. Um, so thank you, Neil, so very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and your availability to come out and meet me here absolutely thank you so much so how about them tigers
1: unbelievable unbelievable and there there really isn't a whole lot of words that uh, would be able to describe what I witnessed on Monday night so unbelievable is just about as good as I can do
0: <laughs> so how how was the environment in the dome I mean you were there you were in person I, I was what did it there, feel like uh,
1: I have not missed a home LSU game since 1996, and so I have seen a lot of great things happen inside Tiger Stadium. I don't know if I've ever heard something as loud as I heard Monday night in the Superdome. Um, again, it was just an unbelievable scene. Um, the crowd split had to be 70% LSU, 30% Clemson, so so it was definitely uh, deafening whenever uh, Clemson had the ball and whenever LSU did uh, things positive on the field. So it was a fantastic night.
0: That's awesome. I know whenever I was watching it on here in Baton Rouge, and I, you could f- witness and like almost sense through the TV the type of environment that was there, just with everybody cheering and just exclaiming, so i'm kind of I'm kind of jealous of you i'm not going to lie yeah I, I I think that uh
1: in about ten years there'll there'll be uh, half a million people that said that they were in the superdome that night and uh, and, and i'll actually be, i have the pictures to prove it so you got I, the, the ticket stuff uh, right well, well, they, they were they were digital tickets, but uh-huh. I have pictures to prove that I was in there so uh but uh yeah it w- it was fantastic and uh i I'm blessed to have the opportunity to have
0: uh, witnessed it in person i love it i'm I'm quite envious of you so I want to kind of go in first off. What is it that you do with the key finders team?
1: I am a buyer's agent and a listing specialist on the key finders team. And um, about two years ago, Jeffrey Welsh and Carol Poche, who were the finders, are the the founders of the key finders team, um, asked myself and Brandon Baird, who is now my um, other business partner, to be uh, part owners in the team. And um, that has been... Um, a huge blessing as well to be able to to be a part owner in a a group that's been um, within Keller Williams since um, right after 9-11, which is where Jeffrey and um, Carol started the team. And so 2001 and, and to be able to carry on a legacy that Jeffrey and, and Carol built is something that I know Brandon and I are very happy to do.
0: Absolutely. So are they, I heard you say they're a part of the Keller Williams team. Correct. Okay. So they're fall within, how does that structure work?
1: So Keller Williams (laughs) is essentially a franchise. So Keller Williams is one of the, I believe, the largest um, real estate uh, company in the world, um, especially by agent count. So you could go to London, England, and there would be a Keller Williams Realty um, there. And um, so, we, I believe a, um, a year ago, it was announced that um, we won the triple crown of real estate, which I believe was the, the most um, sales um, in units, the most sales in, in volume, and, and the number one aid, um, agent count throughout the country. So that was a big um, deal for the company as a whole. But then the key finders team is essentially a company within a company. Okay. Um, and, and Jeffrey Welsh and Carol Pochet again, were the ones that started that back in 2000
0: one gotcha and so how does it work i'm interested t- to see kind of the structure from there so we've got the key we've got keller williams and we've got the key finders team where does little old Neil fit <laughs> within that umbrella
1: well w- underneath that umbrella the key finders team um since we're all self-employed uh you know when, and as an accountant you, you know all, <laughs> all about that kind of stuff but uh but Within the key finders team, um, I am a buyer's agent, listing agent on the team, I, you know, within uh, real estate here in, in Baton Rouge. And, and of course, I'm a part of the day-to-day operations of our team that has not only Jeffrey Welsh, Carol Poche, myself, Brandon Baird, um, Laura Obie and Claire David, and then Jill Watson um, is our administrative assistant, who uh, we always joke that she's our, our parachute uh, packer because she... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad she does what she does because I don't want her job. She's phenomenal, um, and there, you know, we in 2019 we had uh, um, 127 um, sides that we sold in in real estate here in wow. Baton Rouge and over 30 million dollars in volume, and uh, and a lot of the credit goes to her because she she's the one behind the scenes and she doesn't get enough credit. So I just wanted to uh, to be able to to give her a little bit of credit.
0: Absolutely. What well, it's I mean, I don't even know with communicating with you sometimes, you're like, hang on, I don't even know what's happening on my schedule, let me contact her. Sure. And you're like, you, contact her, she knows everything, She outside outside of your fiancé, she kind of plans... What happens?
1: Look, if uh, I, I was told one time that that uh, the secret to a successful person is a, um, a a great woman behind the scenes, well, luckily I have my fiance and Jill too, so I have two, so hopefully I can be um, at double successful. If that makes any sense, but uh, but yeah, you're right, and there there are a lot
0: of people that control my schedules, and I'm not one of them. So I know it's 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 always a challenge. It's- Controlling schedules, and now you'll—I mean—you're you, engaged now, and I know that my wife and I—we have a joint schedule on our phones that we both know kind of where we're going to be, and then we also have our individual paper planners sure. as well. So, do you have any kind of tactics or strategies you use to manage your schedule around, you know, your work life, your home life, and how do you kind of balance that?
1: That's one thing, Patrick, that I really do try to um, accomplish on a daily basis is have. Um, a system set up to where you do balance that work and family life um, as as well as you can and in real estate sometimes it's it's very difficult because you know during the the work hours, you know it, it's not like um, I'm you know sitting at a desk and and that's all I do all day you know you're right. out and about and then of course once um, the the uh, business hours in for a typical person, that's usually whenever we're kicking it in gear and showing property and on the weekends as, as well and that's a big time for us um, but to go back to uh, to scheduling there there are probably uh Four or five times within the day where I'm texting my fiance Claire and asking her, what do we have this day? What do we have that day so we can uh, try to figure it all out. but uh, but yeah, it, you know you, you try to do your best um, as far as you know putting it in some sort of planner or something like that. And, and our founder of Keller Williams always says, if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't exist. So there, there are a lot of times where, where you want to make sure that that's the way that you're living your life.
0: Absolutely. And that's, I know I try to do that with literally everything, including work. You know, I utilize the the Microsoft Outlook calendar for work and within the office communicating with the other accountants and the CPAs in the firm. And then in my personal life, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'll put it down to a reminder, like send this person a text on this day to follow up. Like I have to go that detail because if not, I will forget it. Well, I...
1: I I know that everyone on my team knows that I'm not exactly um, the best at remembering a lot of things. So yes, I I have to, I have to be a big planner. Um, I have to write things down uh, because I'm the same way. I'll definitely forget. And, and um, so I think that the biggest thing that we do as a team um, is every morning we have, um, we have a group me app and we, kind of, you know, outline what the day is going to look like for each of us. That way we understand where everyone's going to be at, you know, at a given time. If you need to call somebody or uh, meet with someone, you know where they are, if they're in a meeting or if they're going to be out showing. I found that's very beneficial to us. And it also gives you an opportunity early in the morning, you know, 5, 30, o'clock where you can kind of plan your day. Um, right. And then it really kind of, you know, sets the pace.
0: Absolutely. And it's crucial in a team setting to be able to have that open communication, you know, especially with real estate, you're going out to different properties, you're meeting with different potential, you know, potential clients, potential sure. buyers, potential sellers. So you have to know at all times where your team is in case, let's say, for example, you're booked up for the day and you got to get somebody else at a site because somebody that wants to buy a property or sell a property is the only time they can meet. Sure. And so having that streamline of communication is so crucial. And it is in so many other, you know, occupations. It's And my occupation is especially crucial because if a client needs to walk in to visit us for their taxes or their bookkeeping or whatever service we provide for them, it's essential that I my bosses know where I'm at and I know where they're at so we can have that good communication. So group exactly. me sounds like a phenomenal <laughs> thing that you've been using. It
1: is. And, and that's definitely one of the, the big advantages of uh, being on a, a team in, in real estate is that, you know, Everything is not on my shoulders at all times that if you are booked up with clients for the day and someone needs to go see a property or they need to get into a house or they, they need to sit down and discuss something financially or, or whatever it may be, that we have, you know, the agents on our team that are more than, you know, willing to to, you know, uh pitch hit for you and, and that that's a, a true blessing um for the team and, and the team model.
0: Right. So what type of real estate do you kind of specialize in? So everything that we do
1: is um, residential real estate. Okay. Um, we do refer all of our commercial out to uh, an agent that that we know and trust uh, really well. Um, it, it's definitely two very, you know, different um Animals, absolutely, um, with with uh, commercial and residential. So we really do like to specialize. You know, we definitely pride ourselves on the, a high level of service. Whenever you start to stretch yourself too thin and trying to know uh, a little bit about too much, is definitely not going to provide that service that we. Um, you know, pride ourselves on. So that's why we specialize just on the, the residential side. And um, we do a lot of our businesses here right in um, East Baton Rouge Parish. We definitely do, you know, um, other parishes in the surrounding areas, but East Baton Rouge and Area 5 and 6 are, are the, the big areas that we focus in on.
0: Okay, so for for those who are not familiar with the areas, can sure. you kind of let us know Absolutely. what areas 5 so, and 6 so are? J-
1: just to kind of look at it, let, let's just say that um, Area 5 is going to be your, your Bocage area. Area 6 is going to be U-Club back to... To LSU, so those are kind of you know just think of those you know, those two broad areas as five and six, and that that's where we um, you know spend a lot of our our time. But but uh, you know of course you know you're going to go into to mid city. I mean if you want to do a lot of volume, you you know <laughs> you, you have to, to go into other areas outside right. of that. But uh, but you know we go everywhere. That anybody that wants to go see a house, we're going to find a way to uh, to show it to them for sure.
0: Absolutely, you're not just you're not restricted. Correct to those certain zones. Exactly, exactly. And so is that like a, a real estate kind of across the board standard or is it, does your, like for example, y'all are members of the Keller Williams team, sure. the key finders. So do they, does Keller Williams say, oh, zones five and six go to this agent, zone seven and eight. I don't even know if there is a zone seven or eight, but you know, they do they split it up that way or is it just, Basically free for all.
1: So it definitely is a free for all, and and the way that it's structured, um, at least within Keller Williams, and I've been with Keller Williams and the Key Finders team since day one of my real estate career. So I really can't speak to any other, um, you know, company. Right. However, the. Keller Keller Williams has multiple offices here in in Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas and I'm part of Keller Williams Red Stick Partners um which is on Blue Bonnet here in Baton Rouge and and that office is set up to to um to serve areas 5 and 6 but that definitely does not mean that you can't go outside of that that it it I would say that it's um there to satisfy the agents who live in that area where they have an office space that they can go to and utilize more than that's where you're going to practice uh, okay. particularly.
0: And so do you ever do you ever find yourself kind of stepping on the other Keller Williams agent's toes? Or do you all work very closely together?
1: We always call it a coopetition. A
0: coopetition. A coopetition. <laughs> I feel and, like that's uh, made up. Yeah, It, it definitely <laughs> is. There,
1: there may be a lot of things that we make up. But... Uh, but I don't think that it's ever um, a situation where you step on anyone's toes. I mean, whenever you have as many properties that go on the market in, in, in Baton Rouge, the, there's enough slices of the pie that everyone can get a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, so I, I don't think that that's anything that we ever um, think about. Yeah, you know, But, you know, um, I, I believe in, um, you know, in this past month, in December, you had, you know, 400 and something properties that, that you know, oh, wow. went off in the market. So, I mean, it, you I think there are 3,000 agents, you know, okay, in, okay. in Baton Rouge. So, you know, there, <coughs> there, there are definitely a lot of agents. However, you know, the 80-20 principle only 20 percent of the agents are going to do, you know, majority of, right. of all real estate here in Baton Rouge. So I, I at least I never worry about stepping <laughs> on anyone's toes. I, I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But uh, in, in this business, you have to have to be a go getter. And, and that, that's something that you just have to, you know, fight through.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Especially with you know, like there's a four three thousand agents you said. Correct, three thousand agents in just in the Baton Rouge area.
1: And and um, the Baton Rouge MLS. So in, in okay, this, what is that? So the Baton Rouge MLS is essentially going to go from West Baton Rouge, you know, pretty much all the way through Sorrento, and then okay. then the New Orleans market will essentially start after that. So okay, um, yeah, I mean that that's a lot of agents. Absolutely. Um, and it's and it's due. To the fact that the economy is really good and real estate in Baton Rouge is really good right now, so right. so whenever that happens, you know agents increase. Whenever the the markets go down, agents decrease. That's just how it happens.
0: Right. And so, I mean, what is the what is the barrier to entry into the real estate market as an agent?
1: If you can pass the test, <laughs> if you can pass the
0: real <laughs> estate test. So, and and that's something that.
1: Um, I know that a lot of agents who've been in the business for a long time would definitely like to see maybe a higher, you know, level of entry or, or, you know, just due to the fact that you you want to keep a high level um, of service. You want to, you know, you definitely don't want to see a whole lot of people ruining the name of a real estate agent. Of course. Um, And unfortunately, um, throughout the nation, the perception of a real estate agent is, you know, not very high. And um I believe we're we're under attorneys and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so that gosh. that's not not too good. So I, I think that may have a lot to do with it. Okay. Um, but of course, as an individual in this business, you hold the keys to be able to to create your own uh brand and and all that kind of stuff. So of on an individual basis it, it's not so bad, but across the board and NAR, the National Association of Realtors you know, provides all kind of stats and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, overall, it's not very good. But, uh, you know, the I believe perception in Baton Rouge is pretty high, at least dealing with agents on a day-to-day basis. I, I see that uh, agents here in Baton Rouge are extremely uh, professional, not just with Keller Williams, but across the board.
0: Right, of course. I mean, I haven't. I haven't really met too many at least that Good. came off as like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. like that's I mean except you of course. Right. Well, yeah.
1: Cuz <laughs> that t-shirt and a short I'm telling you that that's if I it. would if I would have you just show
0: up a little bit better dressed that would have changed probably. It, it, it would have. So he 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 helped us get this house and he showed up on what was it it was what show it was probably the third it, it, time we viewed the house.
1: I don't even think it was a showing. I think it was a walkthrough. That's I think what, it, it was, was a fun walkthrough. Walk and, and let me tell the story okay, because right, I, right. I don't want you to <laughs> okay, mess okay. things up. But but it was about 120 degrees.
0: It, it, it was whenever it, you bought the yes, house. Yes, and it this had, seems uh, time for a good another pour of wine. Yeah. wine so and,
1: and so um I had to measure a house with Jeffrey before, and I and if you, you if you and Charlotte didn't want to see me and you know in a suit that was soaking wet it, um and because that's how you would have seen me had uh i not showed up in in uh bermuda shorts and a, and a shirt
0: <laughs> all right and what's and you, and you came because we come and measure this house correct because you know charlotte correct. she's got that civil engineering mind that's right we had to put everything in a cad you know so she could see what the house is going to look like exactly so okay so i'll give you some credit there but going back to that that instance or that kind of perception that people have of real estate agents, you said it's not very high. Why do you think that is?
1: I think that the reason that it may be is that it's a very difficult business to succeed in. And there may be a a number of agents that look at um, the commission more than the value that they provide to their clients. Once you allow a paycheck to supersede a level of service that you provide to someone, that can definitely change the way that your client looks at you. If, if if you, if whenever I was representing you on on this house, if I showed up and and what you thought of me is I'm just doing this because I want a paycheck, I think that you wouldn't have me sitting in this chair next to you. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think that that's probably the biggest, um, thing because in real estate you can do really well Absolutely. and um and it, it's 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 like i said it's difficult um to succeed in it just because it's a lot of hard work and um you know whenever if, if this would be the only thing that you know and and you're you know you, you you have to make a sale to put food on the table for your family I, I you may do some things that that you shouldn't do that, right. that are unethical and all those types of things but uh i you know, I, I think that's why maybe the perception overall isn't as good. And then I think that if you look at it as a whole, that expectations, um, sometimes can be very high. Um, and if you don't hit that mark for people, then of course you're, you know, that, that's going to kind of go down as far as the perception is concerned. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think those two things are probably the, the big reasons why overall the perception is low.
0: Right. And it's, I feel like you kind of get, that perception can kind of be played into not only the real estate agent, you know, occupation, but also for a lot of people that work for commission. Correct. You know, a lot of commission-based occupations, which there's nothing wrong with being commission-based. First off, there's nothing wrong with being commission-based. Right. It's a very lucrative business to be in. But having the mindset of, I'm in it for the paycheck, I'm in it to close this sale, while at the core of it, yes, you need to close a sale sure. yes, you need the commission It's going above and beyond that is where people can really make a difference not only in their personal career but in the lives of their clients and the fact that you're like, okay, you know, while yes, this house or this piece of property could make me a hefty paycheck, I would love to have that happen. But that's secondary to making sure this person or this individual or this company, whatever it may be, is satisfied absolutely I want them to make sure that they no, they have a good decision that what they're doing is something they want to be done, and I'm here to make sure that it happens in the procedure and happens the way they want it to happen of course and whenever I, I think
1: that the biggest thing that I try to do and and, and it's not that I you know'm i this brilliant person that came right. up with us all by myself. You know, the, the people that that have taught me a whole heck of a lot about this industry and, and Jeffrey and Carol um, and a lot of other people, but mostly them. And I can remember early on, um, you know, we were, I, I was showing, I, I mean, this may have been just a, a couple months into my uh, real estate uh, career and, and I was going to show a $400,000 house you okay. know, I was like, oh, my goodness. I, I can't <laughs> believe that I'm going to show a $400,000 house. And I may have said something along those lines. And and um, Jeffrey said something to me I'll never forget. He says, if you go into the showing with that mentality, they're going to see right through you. They're going to know what you're there for. And it made me realize that that's not why I was there. It was to serve the client. right? And um, this business and, and the business that I am, am building it's all through referrals. If you go into every you know, transaction trying to do it in a manner that if you do a quality job, that this particular person is going to refer people for the rest of their lives to me and hopefully come back to me, that's the only way you can succeed in this business. If you go into it with that mindset, I think that you can be very successful. And then, and then you change that stereotype you, know, Absolutely. Of, you know, of what you know, the perception of a real estate agent.
0: Yeah, when it's it's not even, you know, changing the perception or trying to change the perception within one sale. It's, as a real estate agent, you, as an individual, are your brand. Correct. You know, yeah, you can stand behind a, a company and whatnot, but whenever, like, just now beforehand, i had to ask you who you worked for. Right. You know, I didn't even... Because it wasn't important to me. What was more important to me was the individual behind the deal, the individual sure. behind making sure I was taken care of. And that that can be the same thing for any profession or any occupation for that matter. You know, it's, well, yeah, you want to go to a prestigious law firm or a prestigious accounting firm, whatever it may be. You want to know that whoever is taking care of you individually is a good person. Absolutely. And it's, for real estate, you control your business by simply controlling you as a person and your personal brand that I feel like a lot of people kind of take that for granted of, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna see this person one time and forget about it. It's like, well, you see that person one time. If you leave a strong enough impression on that person one time after meeting them, it's going to carry you forward so many different ways you won't even imagine. Right.
1: Absolutely. And, And, and it's the way that you, you know, treat, you know, your client throughout the, uh, the, the transaction. However, if it if the if you stop there, right. then it was off or not. The, the the continual follow up with your past clients is is huge. And uh, I believe that there's a st- statistic that uh sixty five percent of all people who bought homes with a real estate agent would use their real estate agent again if wow. they only remembered their name. Really? and whenever i heard that statistic i was like my goodness how in the how could that happen how could someone not remember your name and and as a although i'm only 28 years old but when, whenever i was a little bit younger <laughs> and and in this business you you had so much more time mm-hmm. to you know to really um you know not kowtow, but you know to follow up with your past clients and, and really try to build a, a super strong relationship and and you can do that however now whenever you you know get a little bit more you know busy and, and do a little bit uh, a little bit more transactions it becomes a little bit more difficult however you have to schedule within your day time to follow up with with your past clients it, it, it's a necessity if you want to continue in this business you right. have to do that
0: hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's crucial, not even for your business and my business as well in the accounting field, sure. you know, if I don't follow up with a client who said they were going to use our services, then I'm out of their mind because they have a million different things exactly. going on. I mean, I'm dealing with business owners. I'm dealing with people that don't have time to take care of this specific task in which they've hired me out to do. And if I don't follow up with them, it's going to get thrown to the curb. Sure, You know, and in real estate, especially you've got somebody who, yeah, they purchased their house and. I don't know what the average lifespan of somebody living in a home. I know for first-time home buyers or people at my age, it's much shorter than those at a much older age. But at the same time, if I don't remember your name and I need to, all of a sudden I have, you know, if all of a sudden that you have a big life change that you're like, oh my gosh, I need to move or I need to get a new house, I need to get a new place. Your first thing you're going to go to is, well, who did I use last time? And if I don't have your number saved, if I don't have anything in reference to who you are, I'm going to call up the next person that re- was referenced to me. Absolutely. You know, and, and I always
1: joke that, you know, if someone says that they, they don't know a real estate agent, they obviously don't get out very much <laughs> because, I mean, you know, they, whenever there are 3,000 in, in, in and Rouge, in the you, have Rouge area, couple, yeah, you have to know a couple. At least one or two. Right. I mean,
0: I think I know like six. Exactly.
1: And um, so it, it's those types of situations where, I mean, whenever you can essentially, you know, Go onto Facebook and and you know find four or five of them that are probably in in uh, in your your friends list. Um, it, it becomes much more difficult. That's why it's paramount to to stay in touch and and make a good impression whenever you do have the opportunity to to be in front of someone and and represent them.
0: Absolutely. And so going to Facebook, I know beforehand we got started here. You kind of said that you don't really spend a whole lot of time on social media or spend a lot of time on Facebook for that matter. Why, and I know you said it was for referrals, but kind of why, why haven't you been like, okay, we get a lot of business through referrals. Let's see if we can get more. Why haven't you made that kind of more of a push in that direction?
1: Well, you know, I I, I know agents who have done phenomenally well through social media and, you know, through that platform. And I'm not saying that it's not productive. I think that you have to find what you're good at and you have to stick with it. You know, I I think that if you were at an eight and something in life, you can work really hard and become a 10. But if you're a Two, you can work really hard and only ever become a four or a five, so i 'm not going to worry about the being you know trying to be a five at something i 'm going to worry about being a ten at something right um, and social media is just really not my strong suit now, going back to our administrative assistant Jill, she does a phenomenal job with the team marketing and all that kind of Absolutely. stuff and, and and that definitely takes a, a burden off of myself. Um, But, you know, I realized that if I do what I do as far as taking care of my clients whenever they're, um, you know, going through that process and following up with them and, and, you know, asking, you know, say, hey, look, if you know anybody who's, you know, needing to buy, sell or invest, you know, I'd love to to work with them and and, um, give them the same type of service that I gave you throughout your transaction, I'm far more successful doing that.
0: Right. And that's, you know, I just thought about it. Today is kind of my real estate day. So the episode this morning was with Matthew Labordi of Elephant Commercial Real Estate.
1: Right, which I which I I know Matt and 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 thanks so much for putting me second because my goodness that that he's kind of a hard act to follow. My goodness,
0: yeah, he he, he is, and he he's a phenomenal guy, and he's all over social. I mean, with everything. Right. I mean, Chase, his social media director, was we we're, we're emailing back and forth, and I'm supposed to go on his show, and he's supposed to come on mine, and so it's seeing that I realized like okay, he's so on social and he's so on everywhere because he's got Chase. you know. And he even was like, he was like, I mean, I control, he's like, he controlled two, one or two platforms like, and Chase does the rest. right? And so for you, like you said, you've got to spend that time devoted to your clients, devoted to making sure their experience is top of the line, that you don't have time to send out a tweet or send out a text. Right. And so it's crucial for you to spend every amount of time you can with your clients. And so it's with Jill, do you think that she can kind of vamp it up a little bit or maybe even is there is there a look in the future to get somebody to do it full time.
1: Of course. I mean, th- that's definitely something that we always look at and, and always strive to be better right. um, at whatever we do. And and that's something that, you know, we have um, weekly meetings, you know, as, as um, owners of the team with Jeffrey, Carol, Brandon, and myself. And, and that's always things that we um, that look at and, and think about and, and uh, definitely can always do better at anything. And um, so, of course, that's something that we'll look at and... Um, but you know, as far as me personally, that that's just something that that you know, I, I'll, I'll 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 try. I wait no, I won't try. There's no try. There's only do. So I, I'll do better.
0: Absolutely, as there's no try, there there is only do. Right. Good old Yoda. That's exactly right. That's, and I mean, you're great at posting Go Tigers. And that's well, the most that, important that's the thing. only thing that that
1: I post <laughs> is our, our trips uh, to watch LSU. I think. Absolutely. But you so, can see you can see what's very important to me, right? <laughs> you just look at the social media and you see LSU all the time.
0: There. yeah. I mean, the, hey, that's, that's not a bad thing. No? By no, any stretch no, of the imagination. I definitely don't think so. <laughs> no, no. And I think you can ask anybody in Louisiana after Monday night and they'll all agree with you. I agree. I think before Monday night that you would have maybe 80% of them that would agree with you, but now it's like. Hundred percent. But
1: all the you way. know, Patrick I'm from Crowley, Louisiana, and that's <laughs> kind of close to to Lafayette. So there may be a couple of ULL fans who who wouldn't agree with that. Just just a couple.
0: Ah, uh, just a couple, yeah. a handful maybe. Yeah. But I mean, they can still come together. For, oh, I, I
1: would like it. I don't understand why we couldn't.
0: <laughs> that's a whole. This isn't a sports. No, oh, yeah, it's not yeah, a sports right. podcast. That, we're not going to go down that <laughs> that road. But I do want to go to Crowley. Yes. I want to go back. So. Where are you? I know you just said you're from Crowley. So what were you like growing up?
1: <laughs> like I am now. I think, I, think <laughs> I popped out of the womb 90 years old. I, 90 you know, years old. Um, but Crowley and, you know, to even go in further, uh, my parents' home is in Mowater, Louisiana. Mowater. M-O- M-O-W-A-T-A. and Mowater. Mowater. And uh we, we have a Catholic store a uh, Catholic store, a Catholic church and um a store that sells the best boudin you ever eat in your life. So th- those are <laughs> our, our two things that that we have there. And um so that that's where where I grew up and um went to St. Francis Elementary and, and junior high and in IOTA um Louisiana and then went to IOTA High School. Okay. Um which is a town um over. And uh, but you know, essentially grew up in Crowley. That that's kind of the the hub, I, I guess gotcha. you would
0: say. And that's the and name people recognize. Correct. Nobody's it, going to recognize Wada. Correct. Well, definitely or, uh,
1: not. But if you do, boy, that you're pretty special. <laughs> if, if you know, you've where been that around. Is. Absolutely. So you know, I, I think that uh, you know, it, it's a it's a special place. Um, Absolutely. I, I tell everyone that or uh, who hasn't ever been there or visited there that the people who live there are the most generous most kind people that you could ever be around and i am truly blessed to have been raised in, in a place like that I, I think that it it builds a um a sense of family a sense of community that that you can't get in a lot of places um however Whenever I came to LSU, I knew that there was no going back. You know, it, Baton Rouge was too good. Being so close to Tiger Stadium was too good. Absolutely. So uh, it, it's great to visit, but uh, Baton Rouge is now my home.
0: Okay, so when did you – I mean, Crowley is a is a very small town. Sure. It's it's not – I don't know the exact population, but I know Neither it's not are. a lot. It, yeah. I know it's not a lot, and probably there's only maybe ten last names, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and uh, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> ten important ones. Ten important yeah. last names.
0: Because yeah. I know where where I spent my my latter part of my teen my early part teens going into college was in Sunshine, and there was probably maybe less than ten last names out there. Sure. And so, coming from a small town, going into Baton Rouge, which is by no means a small town compared to Crowley, but still on the national scale viewed as a small, as, right. as a city, as a small city sure. per se, what what was that shift like? I
1: can tell you this, that um, all roads lead back to LSU, right? So right. My, my family has had LSU football season tickets for God knows how long. And so I, I grew up every Saturday that there was a home game, we were here. Okay. So you 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 kind of learn it, you kind of you know understand it, and and you know you're a part of it before I ever moved here. However, you know you you realize soon that uh, whenever you move to Baton Rouge, you don't know everyone's business. You a lot you know a lot of people's business. You just don't know everyone's business. That's uh, a fact. So that that's something you know that that you def- you definitely understand <laughs> that there, there's just a little bit more people here. Yeah, than, than uh, one or two. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, so. Making that shift, what was it like back at home? Like, what what did your parents do?
1: Okay, so uh, my mom was um, a teacher. Okay, and uh, my dad uh, worked for a natural um, gas pipeline company. Okay, uh, my mom's whole side of the family um, were farmers, rice farmers. Crowley is um, the rice capital of the world. So uh, that, that's Crowley. something that, that yeah, that, that, that's our claim to fame. Um, and former Governor Edwards lived in Crowley for a little while, practiced law in, in uh, Crowley for a little while. So that, that's another one. Um, but uh, my family, um, big rice farmers and extended family, owned Supreme Rice Mill in Crowley, which uh, um, had been uh, in Crowley for a long time in business and, um, you know, As as a staple in in the the city or town.
0: Okay, so your your family's in the rice business, correct? What made you not want to go into that?
1: Well, you know, I I think that a lot of my family is in it, Mm -hmm. and and you and I was always the kind of the person that you know you had to go uh, pave my own path. And there was nothing that there was wrong with it or anything like that. It's just I had to go um, do it all on my own, Go do something different. Right. Um, I always felt that what they do is, uh, and I'm not afraid of a little work, but Absolutely. boy, they, they, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that, I mean, you do that because if you do that, I think you have a pathway to heaven. Um, <laughs> in, in, in farming and and doing all that kind of stuff. That that's long hours. That is a lot of time away from your family um, blood, sweat and tears and all that kind of stuff. So it, watching it, um, growing up that I knew that that's something that I personally didn't want to do. Um, so I I had to go to college. I had to go do something else. So that, that's, that was pretty much the reason why, um, I I didn't stay there and kind of continue on that, that family, family legacy.
0: And how did your, I mean, how ingrained was the family business within your family?
1: I, I mean, it, it definitely was. It was no great. pun intended there with yeah, that. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And, and so growing up, you know, my grandmother, um, you know, lived to be 96 years old and almost every weekend – I went and spent time with her. So I was around the farm. I was around, you know, cutting rice, cutting soybeans, right, crawfish, right, right. that whole thing. And it was wonderful. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a, a part of our, our day-to-day lives. And, and my brother-in-law, Jake Dure, he has, I mean, still has a, a huge uh, rice farm and, and crawfish farm and, and um, you know, crawfish production back in in Crowley so it's still very um a much a part of our lives so yeah I mean it's it it was everything for sure
0: so and and how did they take your decision not to go into the family business
1: I th- personally I think that my mom liked it I, she didn't she didn't want <laughs> want to see me do that because she she understood everything that I just talked about with with right. how hard it is and and I mean her her father um was really a, a, a pioneer in um, rice farming here in Louisiana where he uh was one of the first rice farmers in, in North Louisiana. He, he bought a, a, a ton of acreage um, out in um, the Bastrop uh, area of North Louisiana where it was all pine trees and, and brush and all that kind of stuff and, and started rice farming from scratch. I mean, tore it all wow. down. I mean, bulldozed it all down and, and started from scratch. And he was one of the first ones there. So she understands or she understood how much it took, um, you know, to to do what he did. And, and I don't think she wanted that for any of her children, you know, but <laughs> right. I, again, nothing wrong with it. Oh, it's absolutely just not, 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 uh, not what she wanted. And, and, and my dad, um, you know, he didn't grow up in, in, in that type of environment. So, um, you know, in the oil and gas industry that he was in that, you know, that wasn't something that was in, you know, entrenched into his life. So it wasn't, um, a, you know, as big of a deal moving out of it, um, as, you know, uh, a lot of other people within our community, um, it would have been to make that transition outside of, you know, the, the farming sector.
0: Right. And it's it's not just I mean, farming, I know, is very family centric, and Absolutely. very family focused. But like for anybody who grows up with their family owning a family business, they almost feel like this sense of obligation To go into it. Right. Because if not, they either have this feeling of regret, this feeling of letting down their parents, letting down the business as a whole. And so I always find it interesting. I always want to ask people who come from a family business why did you not go in it and how did they take it? Because I I do see that it's family businesses are amazing. I'm a part of one. Right. My family owns a plumbing and engineering company called Grameal Mechanical. You know, and so they. It was a family business and it's I think on its third generation now. Wow. And so it's just been passed down the line and it's you know, when I was like, Hey, I don't want to do that, they were very supportive of it. But I I'm afraid that some people may not experience that. And so they need to they they, they almost kinda need to hear it from somebody else who's come from it. Right. As like, Oh, so it is okay. It's like it's not I don't have to go into the family business. Of course. And it's it, it's something that I wanna kind of let people know that it, it's it's okay to go outside the family business and kind of spread your own wings, even if you may not have the best of support.
1: For sure. And and you know,
0: and, and luckily, um in,
1: in my situation, I know that there are a lot of good people in place that, that are gonna take care of it and absolutely and um and, and it's gonna continue on. So, you know, for me it wasn't um you know it it it, it wasn't I shouldn't say a big deal because you know it, it's always a big deal. But mm-hmm. but I knew that it was in good hands and and you know you're always proud of it. You know I mean that's oh, something that that um, you know all the time. You know, Supreme rice you can buy it in almost every grocery store and that, yeah. that's something that that although I never had a direct impact in um, it, it, it's great to be able to say that that's something that that you know people that I know and and loved built that and, and continued it, and, and uh, it, it, it's a great
0: thing. Oh, 100%, and it's it, it, it's it's great to see a transition from a family business and have the support of your family to go into your next endeavor because then you go you want to support them right back. Correct. Which is huge. So what made you want to get into real estate? Well, during my time at, at LSU,
1: my uh, main goal was to go to law school.
0: That's a, bit, a yeah. bit of a shift
1: yeah, there. That well, absolutely. So um, and and then I, I I wanted to have a worse reputation than than a um, lawyer so then I became a real estate agent that's how I did it. Okay. But, so you, you you started at you correct. Know, level Z and correct. you went I to was, AA I was, or correct. ZZ. I was two prongs from the bottom of the totem pole then I went to the last one. Okay. But uh, okay. but no, I um I wanted to go to law school. Then somewhere along the way throughout my time at LSU, I I decided that I I really didn't want to get into the debt that I was (laughs) going to have to get into um, going to law school. And I was always interested in real estate um, and always thought that once I became an attorney that I wanted to, to do real estate law. Okay, Um, And so whenever I decided that law school was not going to be part of my future, I said, okay, well, you want to do real estate law, let's go do the next best thing and and go be a real estate agent. So um, I, at at a LSU um, baseball game, sit next to two great people, Dave Kelly um, and his wife, Debbie, Um, they knew um, um, an individual who was in real estate. Her name was Carol Poche. Okay. So they said, well, you need to talk to Carol if you want to go into real estate. And um, so I, I called her and she said, I'd be more than happy to meet with you, um, which was unbelievable for a person who <laughs> doesn't have a whole lot of time on her hands. Yeah. And uh, agreed to meet with me and kind of you know, walk me through the path of, of becoming a real estate agent and um, what it entailed. and. So I, I went ahead and after I graduated from LSU, I, I uh, the next couple of days after graduation, went into real estate school and, and um, passed the exams and then went right into Keller Williams because that's where Carol was. And a couple of days after that, she and Jeffrey asked me to go into their office and asked if I wanted to be on their team, which I thought was the, the biggest honor of a lifetime, which it was, and I haven't looked back since. And, uh, it's just all about people taking a chance on you when, once you get to that point and, and they took a big one because I haven't, you know, I I didn't have a lick of sales experience in my life. Um, but you always have to, you know, tell yourself that you can do whatever you believe you can do. And, and I definitely thought I could do it. Um, and Jeffrey and Carol instilled a lot of, um, values in me that, that, you know, I still have today, and a lot of trust and and confidence, and and what what I perceive now as, as a as a fairly good career so far.
0: Right, and that's I think that's so crucial to any start of a career. Like you said, you had that one meeting, you had that one recommendation to oh go talk to Jeffrey and Carol, and then whenever you got there, you're able to realize oh wow, like this is not just a meeting, like this could turn into something. Right. And then being able to capitalize on that and have a, a personal brand, like we were talking about earlier, that they liked you. I mean, clearly they liked you. Otherwise, they wouldn't have offered you anything. I mean, let's, let's be real. You're not going to offer something to somebody you don't like. Sure. <laughs> so, and being that type of person that's like, was attractive to them is so crucial in starting any career. Right. Just being somebody that's likable, especially in, you know, the worst looked upon occupation. Right. Well, one of them. And, <laughs> and,
1: and, and so... And and look, I you know you graduate from college and and you're twenty four, you know twenty three, twenty four years old, right? And you're going into a business that um, you're handling individuals' largest transaction that they'll ever have in their lifetime, right? And th- that's difficult to do it as as a as a younger person because you know people just don't trust young people to handle those types of things. Absolutely, and, and you know that. I mean. It, no one wants to go to prison because they, you, you did something wrong with their taxes. So Uh, you you, have to have a level of trust. A hundred percent. And, and so, you know, it it was difficult. Um, and I, I remember one in particular, uh, transaction where I had, and I went on the initial, you know, consultation with this older couple and I, I thought I did pretty good on, on it. And, and, uh, she calls, um, Jeffrey and, and says, Jeffrey, why did you send this high school kid to, <laughs> to come handle my, selling him a house? And Jeffrey said, give him a chance. I, you know, I, I promise you won't regret it. And to this day, I, I there, there are some of my favorite clients. Um, really? and yeah, and, and, but you have to win people over. I mean, especially, and that just becomes more difficult and, and, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. It, it builds a ton of character, that's for sure.
0: Well, and it's and I feel like it almost matures you quicker, of course, than if you don't do something where you're dealing with that type of clientele, where you're dealing with a transaction that, like you said, for some of these people, this is going to be the largest transaction of their life. Right. You know, they are committing to something that they can't get out of. Right. You know, and so they're trusting you to find them a place that they're going to love, that they're going to enjoy. And that they really want to pay for. I Correct. mean, because it's once you can fall in love with the house, but you also have to fall in love with the note, in a sense, as far as financial. Absolutely. Because it's 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 going to be with you forever. Correct, and and it's and it's providing a level of comfort
1: um, to people, and and you know, the old joke that whenever you're a real estate agent, you're you're an attorney and a psychologist or a psychiatrist, all <laughs> all at one time, or you know, all that kind of stuff, because it it it's, it's true um, right. that. Y- Whenever there's so much emotion tied up into, uh, especially selling a home that um, you've lived in for a long time, a lot of people raise their children in the same home and that type of thing. There, there's so much, so many memories and so much emotion tied up into it. You have to handle that situation very delicately, and to provide that comfort level to the individual is is paramount. Um, and, And try to instruct your clients to understand and to think like a buyer in those situations and, and to realize that at the end of the day, it's a transaction. And if you want to sell your home, you have to think in a certain way. And at that point, whenever you're trying to sell it, let let's, you know, no longer think that it's your house. Let's think that it's somebody else's. Because once it's somebody else's, you just got what you wanted, right? right? So, I mean, it's just changing a change of mindset in those situations, and and you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: Now, do you? Th- is it harder to sell a house? Oh, I
1: I would. Def- now, a lot of people would disagree with me, but I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna Everybody's tell you. everybody I, I, right? I think. I believe that it's more difficult to to sell a home. Um, Or represent the seller in a situation only because of the the fact that whenever you're representing a buyer and let's say something unfortunate happens and you have to move past that particular deal, you move on to the next one. And it's a lot easier that way because we looked at a number of homes you know, a couple of them that you could have said, hey, we like this, and, and and we may not have been able to negotiate to a point where you were comfortable with, it and we move right. on. Right. If you're in the listing, on the listing side, if you can't come to terms of negotiation whenever you have that buyer that's right in front of you, who knows when the next one's going to come along, um, especially in, in a market that uh, may not be the best. So it, it, it becomes, you know, a little bit more difficult as far as that's concerned, Um you definitely spend a lot more time with the buyer but to me that that's never you know a bad thing i, I like spending time with people so that that's never a negative for me but uh, i i would definitely say that listing a prop- property is a little bit more difficult than the, the purchasing side for that reason alone
0: exactly i think you framed that up perfectly it's for the buyer we can move on to the next Correct. house the seller you can't move on you're not moving on you you are and you, there's only so much in which you can fluctuate Correct. as a seller you can only come down on price or be able to settle for other things you're not wanting to right. do well and and that's why you know in,
1: in this business taking the time on the front side of listing a property is huge Making sure that it's in as good of a condition as you can possibly get it before you go to market, that, that you're marketing the property in a way that's going, you know, to you know, allow as many people to see it as possible. Right. Um and pricing it in a way in which it it's, you know, going to sell. Overpricing a property, you know, is gonna be the death of you. Um that individuals now have so much information at their fingertips. Oh, you are never going to bamboozle someone. Um and then if and, and if you if if someone's, you know, fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to bamboozle somebody, the the appraiser's going to come back and slap you back down <laughs> to reality. So <laughs> it really doesn't matter, right? That's right. So so you always have to make sure that you're pricing it in a, in a way that that's going to sell it in the quickest amount of time and of course, you know you always want to net your seller the most money. But uh, but you know you 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 just have to frame it in a way that you can do so.
0: Yeah, and it's I find that you know I've only moved one time in my well two times if you count when I moved into the, this well three times but anyways as a kid growing up I'd only moved one time in my life you know my parents spent I think twenty two twenty three years in a single home and so for them to part with the home was such an emotional sure roller coaster. You know, and I'm sure you you're dealing with that every day, right. and the fact of these people that have lived in these homes, they be, we become emotionally attached to your home. It's almost as if it's your child until you have a child, you know and it's it's tough to tell them, "Look, I don't think it's worth what you're asking, and I'm sorry. And how do you deal with that?
1: I attempt to never tell someone how much their house is worth, okay. And the reason why is because I do not dictate the price. The yeah, market dictates the price. That's 100% true. And so, if you do a good enough job of providing the numbers and the, the statistics that show where a house should be, um, you know, what bracket the house should be as far as pricing is concerned, if you do a good job of, of making that argument, there are very few times that anyone can argue with that. And the right. reason why is that numbers are numbers and they don't lie and you know
0: i know that all too well
1: and yeah exactly and and not to get too much in, into the weeds of you know the numbers but you know we know for a fact that if you sell your property in 30 days or less you're going to you're going to usually make around 98% of list price on your house okay that's fantastic absolutely if you go beyond that 30 days it goes from about 98% to about 95 94%. Oh wow. So you 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 cut a lot off if if you and why is that? It's because you were overpriced usually or the condition, you know, price must match condition or condition must must match, match price. It's just that simple. Of course. And so it, it, you know we, our goal is to get it done in, in that amount of time you know on average and and that that's just the average statistic there, but you know that that's our goal because we know that that's true we know that you know if we have 12 showings and and no offers that something's out of whack because it's obviously a nice property but no one put an offer in on it or you know if we have no showings in in 2 to 3 weeks we also know something's out of whack there as well yep. so you know you just have to you have those stop gaps in place you know that that just kind of say hey look something's wrong with this right. and most of the time what you have to change is the price
0: okay and ha- have you ever have you ever had to fire a client because, either the the house wasn't just right or the price wasn't just right?
1: Yes, um, and and that that's one of the hardest things that that of you course. can ever do. Um, and a lot of the a lot of times it's it's about personalities, and everyone has a different personality. <laughs> yes, it, it, that, that's just the way that, of the world, right?
0: That's the way of the world.
1: So. Whenever you don't see eye to eye on something, it's not because the, your, your client doesn't like you or de- doesn't think that you're competent or, or anything like that. You, you have to understand that sometimes the way that I come across and the way that I think of things is not going to be the same way that someone else across the table thinks of something.
0: 100% true.
1: So you do your best to try to understand the way that your client thinks and then present in that manner sometimes it's impossible right Th- those mm-hmm. cases happen few and far between um but yeah there there are times where you realize that the amount of time energy and effort that you're going to put into this particular situation is not worth you know what you're going to get on the back end um so sometimes you just have to to let it go and it's going to be better for that person and it's going to be better for you and, and it's, it's not always a decision based upon what's best for us but we realize that sometimes we're not the best suit for them either right we understand and we have you know a tried and true system where if you do what we tell you nine times out of ten you're going to sell your house you know for what we listed for
0: excuse me (laughs) yeah go ahead (laughs) you got something dying in your throat (laughs) okay so going off of that um i know in a lot of particular client specific (laughs) industries i mean everybody's got a client but in service industries i know as far as like the accounting world we've there's there's times when you have to fire clients and it's sometimes it's not an easy conversation to have right but it's a necessary evil that must happen how do you approach firing a client just
1: being honest
0: yeah, this is this is a fully honest show. well, just being honest. Oh, that was okay. Got the, it. Got it. To sorry. The My mistake.
1: Person sitting across the table. Right. Is always going to be the the best way to go about it, <coughs> and just telling them that, hey, look, that this this isn't going to work out there, and and explain the reasons why. Right. And to understand, or for let to let them understand that. We have been doing this for a very long time, and we understand that whenever we do these things, this is usually the outcome. Right. If you don't want to follow these procedures, there are three, you know, 3,000 other people that you can (laughs) ask to do it. Right. The biggest thing in real estate is to never give someone a false sense that you can do something that you can't or you can't accomplish something that, or tell them that you're going to be able to accomplish something that you can't. Right. I can't sell your house for (laughs) $700,000. Yeah. I wish I could. Uh, Right? We all wish we could. Yeah. But you have to set the expectations. And if the person sitting across the table from you it's not realistic about the expectations then. You know that, you know, you can take them on, but it's not going to be a good situation. Right. And and we don't want to have a house on the market for 120 days. No. As much as, you know, the seller does. So it's those types of situations where, you know, sometimes it happens.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it, you you can never you never know what the situation is going to be until you're in it. Right. You know, you can plan, you can predict, you can forecast, project, whatever the word you want to use. You can go into it with an understanding, but until you're elbow deep in mud, you never know what the real situation at hand is. Correct. And in real estate, you could find five different properties you think are killer. And when you show up, it's total slump, and you just—I mean, uh, it, you just got to look at them like, "I'm sorry, right?" Like, it's, I was misled by the pictures, which sure. we'll get into real estate pictures okay. later.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into that. No, we can go there. Um, no, no, you're right. Again, the one thing on on the buyer side, we talked a lot about the selling side,
0: right, right, on, on the buyer, yeah, and
1: that that has to do with with the buyer side. So having as – so the first time that we ever met, yes. we went to a house. We did. And we probably stayed an hour and a half in the house. We did. And we talked. Yes. We talked about what you wanted, you and Charlotte wanted. Yes. And we had, we essentially had a game plan of how we were going to tackle this situation. Yes.
0: Wait. I think I remember the house.
1: Yeah. it It had the – Super long bedroom with a bathroom all the way in the back yes, with a little porch in the back yes. and, and in, in South Downs. And and you had to walk through one bedroom to get to another bedroom.
0: The master bedroom. You had to walk through a bedroom to get to the master bedroom. Yes. Charlotte hit her purse on the sink in the bathroom. <laughs> as soon as you walked in the door, I couldn't walk to you. I had to walk around. You had to step outside to change your mind
1: in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I remember that house very well.
0: I, I, it's, it's all coming back to me. Yes.
1: So it, it's all about the conversation on the right. front side of any type of buyer situation because I, as an agent, have to understand exactly what you want. Right. We didn't, we didn't look at a whole lot of houses. That's the goal. Right. I want to understand as much as I possibly can about your wants and needs because if we go look at 15 houses, if you're not an investor. They all blur together. And I I feel that I didn't do my job because really and truly, you you know, like you said, once you go to, you know, to the 16th house, I mean, they all start to kind of blend together and, and you're tired of looking. I'm never tired of looking at houses, but, you know, (laughs) but I would hope not, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I always think that if I can find my clients a house and we only go look at probably seven or less You know, that that that's kind of the perfect situation. Right. Because you you don't want to waste anyone's time. And that's part of my job is to understand what my clients need in a home.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think I think we looked at what five or six houses for us and it. It wasn't until so we looked the day we looked at this house, it had just come on the market. You're like, hey. I know we're scheduled to go see a house at six thirty. Right. Meet me at this house at five thirty. It just came on the market today. That was one of my better moments. <laughs> <laughs> Able to yeah, capture right, like, oh, right. this has everything yeah, they're looking we got for. To, we got to go. <laughs> and so, and, and we came here and we looked at this house and we, we I mean, we fell in love right. with this house. And then we went to the next one. And instead of having the the first house syndrome that a lot of people have where they compare it to the first house, sure. you compare it to the first thing you see. Right. You know, it's Same thing with car buying. With any type of large purchase, you're going to compare it to the first thing you see because sure. it's the only thing you have to that, compare that, it that's to. That's your reference point. That's your reference point. Whereas here, as soon as we left this house, everything compared to this house. Right. And to me as a buyer, it's like, okay, that, that's the house you got to have. When the second you start comparing other houses to your non-first house, or if you see eight and you're still comparing to the first house, you should have gone with the first house, right. you know. But if you start comparing, like, okay, we were able, to like, all right, we're moving from the first house. How do the other ones compare to this? And as soon as we got to that point, we were like, it's a no-brainer, right? That. That actually wasn't the reason why we purchased the house. We drove by after the second viewing and saw somebody standing, looking back, and we were like, "No, we can't let him have the house. Right? <laughs> we can't let him have it."
1: Well, if memory serves me correct, I, I I took your I had to run off of a sand bo- volleyball court. To answer your phone call, and you told me that, hey, I want to put in an offer on the house. So that that, that was pretty darn cool.
0: Yeah, it's it was it was like eight o'clock at night or right. something. Right. Charlotte and I were like, okay, that's it's the one we want. And then she was like, what are you gonna do? I was like, I'm gonna text Neil. Right. So like, call me. Right. And you call me like panting. Right. What, yeah. what, what do you What do you need and I'm like, I want the house.
1: Yep. And 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 so and to kind of go. Through the process, so we kind of went through the showing process. Now, now we're into the okay. Now we the the second phase, and uh, this particular house and the the market that you were we were in, because at the time that you purchased your property, we were probably at probably a four month supply of inventory. What do you mean by that? Okay, so that that's essentially like an absorption rate. So, um. And and it also tells us whether or not we're in a, a, a buyer's market or a seller's market. Anything less than six months is a seller's market. Anything more than six months is um, a buyer's market. Why? Because, okay, so let's look at it this way. So if you had 50 homes on the market. Okay. And you stopped <clears throat> adding properties to the market. Right. At the rate at which properties go off the market in a month here in this city, Yeah. Um, how long would it take for all the homes to be sold? I understand. So if you had 50 homes on the market and 10 sell a month, then you're going to have five months. So it would take five months to go through all of your inventory. Okay. And that's essentially what it is. So it's, it's you know, you're not adding any more properties, you're not adding any more buyers, you know, how long will all the homes sell? Yeah, and so that's what it is. So at the time that you were purchasing, you we were at like a four month supply. So that that's a pretty good seller's market. Yes, and at the time, uh, sellers were getting about ninety eight percent of list price. Okay, so we had to have a conversation about how we were going to structure the contract. Yes, and being the person that you are, you wanted <laughs> to, to negotiate on the house. I Me mean, negotiate? Yeah. Never. And, and so, and I love to negotiate. <laughs> However, whenever you understand the climate of the market, you have to structure contracts, especially in a location that you live in and a house that you were going to buy. Yeah, you have to structure it in a way that you knew if someone was going to offer that, you know, you put in an offer thirty minutes after you, you better beat them, right. Right, so we had to have a conversation about how that was going to look. You know, we had to, you know, th- your lender was Johnny on the spot um, as well, <laughs> and getting us a um, a, a pre approval letter at at 9 o'clock at
0: night. He did. Yeah, uh, Jonathan was. Yeah, Jonathan uh, bassant I think Good guy. I say his last Good name. Good guy. So shout out to you, Jonathan. Um,
1: and <clears throat> so he he was fantastic, and 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 having people like that make the process so much. Easier, absolutely. Um, and, and so we had to put in, put in the offer quit. Could negotiate a whole heck of a lot,
0: right? Well, we negotiated on different terms and price, correct? Which you opened my eyes to, right?
1: So, so you're creative with your negotiation. It's not well. Right. We're just going to take ten thousand dollars off the list price, and we're yeah. we're buying a car. No, you're not. You have other options, you know, with closing costs and and other types of you know things within the contract that you can negotiate on. So we we went under contract. Well, we they countered one time.
0: They countered. We we put in the offer the next day because you said you had to get the paperwork filled correct, out. Correct. Correct. And. I, I had all the paperwork to you that night. That's Just right. want to leave That's it there. Right. Um, That's right. But you submitted the offer the next day, which I was perfect- I was tired I was, after was, that volleyball I was, game. I was perfectly yeah. <laughs> fine with um, because not everybody is like me and gets all their pre-approval letters and all their bank documentation three yeah. months before yeah. they start looking yeah. for a house.
1: You were a real estate agent's utopia, I can tell you, whenever <laughs> it comes to that.
0: Yeah, because I, I remember I, we, we put in the offer – and then the the other listing agent called the banker. And was he was like, "Why are you calling me?"
1: Yeah. But they just wanted to make sure you were, you, know, you had a little bit of money in your bank, and right? Bank. Right? 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 Of course. So. And he he was like,
0: <laughs> "Yeah, you're fine." Right. Um. So anyway, so yeah, it was one call. Co- it was one counter. They came back and they they ended up going up a little bit, but they they went up a little bit on the price from what we had offered, but they stayed agreeable for the most part for our conditions. Correct. Like you said earlier, price must match conditions or right. conditions must match price. Correct.
1: And you know and that's something that whenever we had a conversation beforehand and and we said most likely they will counter. I mean, you know right. that, that's that's just human nature to say, well, can I do a little bit better than than what's on the table. You at least you would hope. Right. And and so they counted and and it was agreeable and and it's always you know your decision you know whether you're <laughs> going to move forward or not I can't sign your name um, oh on it although I, I I may have held your hand while you signed it because I thought it was a good deal um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah
0: you gave us yeah. that you had that look in your eyes you're just and like, I might
1: have told you to sign here press hard um, right. on it and uh, so we move forward so so that process as far as you, Y- your um, transaction was concerned was fairly easy. Right from right, that right. from that point forward. Now we went through the negotiation. Now we got to go to the inspection, which that became. Uh,
0: <laughs> you saw a whole other side of me on inspection.
1: I, I, I saw more sewage than I than I ever cared <laughs> to ever again. And luckily, you, you talked about family business. Luckily, that that's just what your family does. So so you were, you were right into it. But and that that may be another reason why we had to wear shorts and T shirts every Absolutely. subsequent meeting here because I didn't know what kind of <laughs> stuff I was going to get into.
0: You didn't you didn't know what was going to happen, right?
1: Uh, so so we get to the inspection and and you know for everyone listening that that doesn't know what that is, you, we have a, a license inspector that's going to come through and they're they're going to you know go through the whole property with a fine tooth comb and and you know definitely tell you everything that's wrong with your house.
0: Oh, they tell you everything that's wrong more than you want to know with the house.
1: And and that's something that again, you know, you have to set those expectations, you know, especially for a first-time home buyer as yourself where you haven't done this before, where you have to understand that you're going to get an inspection report that's going to be, you know, the size of the Bible and you're going to think to yourself that this home is going to fall apart. But the simple fact of the matter is almost you can have that with a new construction home. Right. Um, so you know, you just you just have to keep a level head. You have to look through it all. And first time in my real estate career where we ever flooded a bathroom at <laughs> a house, and and that you was, weren't here. That was that for was that.
0: not here. That was golden. I so for our inspection period, we I wanted to be there right when we met with the inspector. I was like, look. You can look wherever you want in the house. <coughs> I have to be there, just because that's the kind of person I am. Right. And I'm like, look, you let me know where you're going to be there, and I will show up. I'll leave work. I'll come here, and I'll meet you here. And I get here. I get to the house we purchased. Let's lead with that. We yeah. purchased the house. Yeah,
1: you were on a contract. You were well. You were in the inspection period. We, and, yeah. we, and we could. And we could. As, as you made me well aware, you could have gotten
0: out, but you weren't. I was not. No, I was. We were. We were too far sold in right, the house. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, Charlotte already measured. We weren't. We weren't measuring.
0: We sent it to Laura, and she was already designing that, the house. That, that's right. That's right. So I show up to the house after inspection period. During inspection period, when the inspectors here, and I walk in, and I hear this 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 fumbling around in the master bath, and I walk into the master bath. And it's just there's there's water everywhere. I mean it's it's there there's towels down, like right. there's like he's he's on the phone with a vacuum company and I'm like, what I'm what is I'm first time homebuyer here. Right. Hello. I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, What what happened? He's like, Oh, your shower flooded. I'm like, What? Yep. What? Yep, what ho- ho- hold on one second. What? And and so literally I show up the the bathroom floor is covered in water. The closet that's got carpet is soaking wet. I mean, sopping wet from this shower overflow. And I still bought the house.
1: You still bought the house. And you still bought the house because it's a great house. It's
0: a it's a phenomenal house.
1: And uh, yeah, that, that was that was the first and luckily the last time. Well, it, I mean, you only lived here a couple months. It was his first too. It was his with that particular inspection, he and I have this relationship where he has a lot of first time situations in home inspecting on the properties that he's inspecting for me. He fell through a roof with me, he flooded a house. However, he's a great inspector and and, and he opened your eyes to a lot of things that, that we were able to to remedy prior to uh to closing on the property and that's why you do that. Right. Um and and so I I was able to witness um, uh, a camera going all through the the sewer pipes of your we house. We educated you, and, and yeah, I I I'm, can't say that I'm an expert, but I have I bet you I've seen a lot more than eighty percent of the other real estate agents in Baton Rouge, so, uh, so that's good.
0: That's and that was that was funny. I'm right. not gonna lie. So we so the issue with the house was there was a a tree root through the sewer. That we had not foreseen, we had not predicted, right. we simply thought that that's where it was tying into the city water based upon the knowledge of f- fifty years of experience looking at this kind of stuff, correct, but it was still blurred, and we couldn't excuse me, we couldn't see everything, so we thought that we were able to clear this we were able to clear it out, and it was going to take care of it, so we we educated you on the all the tools, because I know whenever you came back, it was me and my dad here, and we had like all the gates open, we had windows open, we we're plugging in cords, right. and we were running an auger and a camera through Correct. the sewer line. And you were just like, "What is happening?" You're in, right. you you were there dressed similarly than this because it was after a good day of showings, <laughs> yeah. not a bad day of showings. And you were like, "What is happening?" Like, come on, Neil, come over here, yeah, come over here, take Neil. the jacket off. Uh, yeah, take the jacket off. We showed you on the camera what was happening. And so I think it's. For for other buyers, I mean, not everybody's going to experience that.
1: No. Luckily.
0: Luckily, not everybody's going to experience that. But understanding and seeing that and not just throwing your hands up and walking away. Correct. You know, we went into the purchasing of the home with an educated mind of what we were getting ourselves into. We had an estimated timeline of how long it was going to last us. Right. It came a little bit before – but we had an estimated timeline so we went in understanding what was going to happen and you were able to help us negotiate on that end look we're really not un- we're really not comfortable with this situation at hand and you're able to help us put that into a form i have not seen such a formal email sent before in my life
1: <laughs> i try
0: it gosh it was uh, there, that's your law experience that you wanted to have. That, that's right. That's hand.
1: right. That, th- those two law classes in college really <laughs> came into play there. Um, but, but yeah, and, and that most of any time or most times, whenever a transaction is going to fall apart, is going to fall apart during inspection, right? Um, and most of the time, it's because the seller has negotiated so much on the front side on the initial negotiation that you can't possibly negotiate anymore or, or at least that's the belief you know on the seller right. side then you have to be creative again um and that that's where you know what we did we you know we, we kind of moved some things around we had to try to figure out a way that it that it was going to be acceptable to both sides and it was um eventually and and you just work on it um i the listing agent on the property and i had had a you know great lot of communication we kept the dialogue going that's another huge um you know benefit um in this industry is whenever you have good relationships with you you know the your fellow agents within the community right Um, of course and you know that you can call them and say hey look let's just work this thing out you know um and not have a combative um you know approach to it um well, Any time that you're going to butt heads on something, that the outcome is not going yeah. to be good, yeah. or it's going to be real good for one side and not good for the other side, right? Um, and so, you know, we just kind of worked it out, and and once that was over, it was essentially clear sailing. Um, after that, and, and we might have measured the house a couple more times after that. Uh, you know, we had to double it's blurry.
0: Check. You know, you know the window dimensions by heart. I'm sure. Well. <laughs> after you fussed
1: at me a couple times it's, it's in and out or out and in I, I'm still not sure which, which, which one it was but I thought you were going to fire me after that because I wasn't doing it too, too you know whether you put the tape measure inside the window or outside the window on the, you know, the right side of the window I, I still don't know we, we might have to do another uh, tutorial after this
0: well, we'll, ha- we'll have to ask if anybody's watching or the one or two people that's watching one of you is my mom the other one is Neil's mom yeah. leave in the comments how you should measure a window properly. Okay. Because we still don't know and I think it's one way, Neil thinks it's the other. Whichever way you think it is, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well the thing
1: that that's why I'm a real estate agent and not a not an appraiser, because that, I've you know I can measure the you know, you know what? Out of the outside of a house, square footage. Don't don't let me do windows. Yeah. Windows <laughs> are just. You know. Don't get too meticulous. That's right. With the that's measure. right. We just we have to be very general, very broad. You know, square footage is what I like, and then it's, that's it. You always round up. That's right. Oh, well, it's well I,
0: eleven and a half feet, no, it's twelve feet.
1: We're gonna go with more.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's 12 feet. absolutely.
1: Yeah, you learn very early you better be as accurate as you possibly can be cuz that can bite you in the behind sometimes. Especially
0: yeah, especially with an inspector and an appraiser is like, "Uh, hang on." Yeah, the the no. appraiser,
1: the appraiser likes to get you. That's for sure.
0: Gosh, the, so you have so for people buying homes, two people you need to worry out, <clears throat> look out for are the appraiser and the inspector. Right. The the inspector
1: you pay f- well you pay for the appraiser as well but right. both of them can really man put a wrench into things absolutely again you you have to have the understanding that that, that could potentially happen um and the inspection process you have a lot more flexibility and a lot more uh, ability to negotiate your way out of that Situation or into a situation that that is um, beneficial to, to whether it's the seller or the buyer in, mm-hmm. in that particular case, the appraiser, in the appraisal process. As an agent, we don't have much, if any, ability to sway that. Um, in fact, we really can't talk to the appraiser at all. Right throughout the process, if we have to um, try to plead our case, we have to go through the lender, then the lender can go through to the appraiser um, at that time. But that, that's probably for the best. You don't want agents to have, you know, some type of, you know, control over the appraiser and them do things that, that are not good for, you know, the, whether it's the neighborhood or the, you know, the, the area that you're in, all that kind of stuff. But luckily, we, we didn't have that issue. And although that, not it's not a common issue that we have to deal with is just whenever it is an issue it's a big issue because that for the most part if you're on the selling side that means that you're getting let what's always on the seller side that you're getting less money if it appraises for more you're not getting more but if it appraises for less you're either going to accept less the buyer is going to have to pay the additional out of pocket or you mutually decide to part ways
0: right and it's I, f- I feel there's a lot that goes into impacting the sale price that an appraiser looks at. Sure. I mean, for example, we have that house across the street from ours that is just now having something done with it. Correct. And the whole neighborhood has been trying to get this house taken care of. It's a it's a dilapidated home right. that has been condemned for living in since, I think, 2015. So, update on that. We finally had a state worker come out. Wonderful. Took pictures. And is now putting it through the court system, to make the owner do something with the house, whether it be sell the house. Right.
1: It's a wonderful lot.
0: It's it's oh my gosh, it's a fantastic yeah. lot, in a fantastic location. It, I mean, it's she could the owner could sell that to sell just the lot value and still recoup way more than what she's in it sure. for. Sure. And so having something like that on a street can really kill the value of the homes there. Sure. Because. The first thing that people are going to do is come to this house and be like, you got an abandoned home across the street. Like what does it say about the community? What does it say about the neighborhood? Right. And and and
1: so that means that you're going to buy it whenever it comes up for sale. That's what that means.
0: Uh, I don't know. We got there's a, we're not going to be the first people okay. to buy it. Because there's at least four other people we've talked to in the neighborhood that are like, oh, yeah, as soon as it comes up for sale, we're buying
1: it. No, we'll just do what we did on this house, and we'll get out in front of them.
0: That's it. As soon as as soon as I see somebody stick a for sale sign in the ground, I'm calling you.
1: No, we got to know before the sign goes in the yard.
0: That's your job. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So we uh, – oh, gosh. We've been in this for about an hour and a half now um so i I told you
1: not to give me any wine
0: (laughs) i know we went through a whole (laughs) bottle of some chateau saint michelle very fine bottle i think it was bought at the local rouses here off of drusilla so if you're into wine it's a cabernet (laughs) and it's really delicious we had enjoyed it in some of these uh specialty the patty g show wine glasses brought to you by dr nick rauber um i'm not going to take credit for these although they are fantastic Um, So, Neil, I have a couple of questions left. Sure. And then we'll tie up the show. Okay. For anybody getting getting into real estate, what is your initial advice?
1: Find someone who has been in real estate for a long time and has been successful. Okay. Learn from them. Answer your phone. Call (laughs) people back. Um, if you if you do, or if you just answer the phone and call people back, you're probably going to do pretty well. Answer your emails, okay. um, in a timely manner. Um, you know, I I'm a firm believer that the difference between someone good and and someone great, not a whole lot, right? Um, and so if you do all the little things, you can be successful. Realize that this is not easy. It is portrayed as a glamorous job and, and all that kind of stuff but it is you know it, it it's not what you see on hg and you're not just going to show three houses and they're going to go have lunch and then they're going to pick of the three that you know in 30 minutes it's not going to happen um so you have to be in it you have to have the mindset that i'm going to work hard and i'm going to treat my clients um with the, as much respect dignity and, and serve them as best as you possibly can and that's a lot but uh that that would be but what I, I would tell someone.
0: I love that. It's it it may be a lot, but in this specific industry, I feel like it's almost just enough to get started.
1: It is, and 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 you are not going to survive any other way.
0: Right. So, one final question is: What can I do to help you achieve your goals?
1: Well, I can tell you this, Patrick that that how you and I met was through your sister. Uh, Sister in law and and brother in law, Lauren Spencer. I sold them. Th- I, I sold their <laughs> house. I uh, then we found another house that they bought. They sold that one. We bought another house, and they're in the process of of, of selling that one and, and buying a new one. So that's a whole heck of a lot of transactions. And and we met in at the end of 2014. Um, what 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 it's going to be four kids and and five houses later, um, but. To have those types of relationships, um, whenever anyone talks about real estate, if my name's the first name that comes to mind, that's what I want. Um, and it doesn't really have to be any more than that. Our business is built on referrals um, and a service mentality. And, uh, and, and that's how we are successful. And you know, if I'm top of mind in real estate, in your mind all the time, I've succeeded.
0: I love that. Well... Thank you so very much for coming on the show. I'm going to do my best to get you out there. Wonderful. I don't know how well I'll succeed, but I will do.
1: Well, I, I definitely appreciate it. Now I have to go on on the Conan show that I was booked right after. <laughs> I don't know how this works. Oh, I have man, to fly I, and
0: I know you gotta, it's only, it's eight o'clock now. Yeah, I can, so you can, I can you make you can it to LA. I can Absolutely. make it at
1: the private jet. It's, it's that's, all good. That's,
0: it lands in the street. I
1: tell you, you, get on. You come on this show. Someone hears you coming on this show. Look, look what can happen. <laughs> I'm
0: telling the you. The Conan what, calls you up next. That, that's right. That's right. All right, well, well. thank you again. I really do appreciate your time, Neil. Thank you so very much. And for those that are watching or are listening, thank you so very much for your time and for just enjoying the show. And if you if you do enjoy the show and you want to help us in any way that you can, please share the page, share the show, subscribe to the show, leave some reviews. I don't care if they're good or bad. If you hate the show, tell me why you hate the show. If you love the show, tell me why you love the show. I appreciate both. And thank you so very much for listening to this rendition of the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G, signing off with Neil Francois. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.
1: Go Tigers.